and welcome to the GamecockScoop.com podcast, the official podcast of GamecockScoop.com on Rivals. I'm Caleb Alexander, publisher and sort of recruiting uh, for every sport. And then um, Alan Cole is here with me, who's the beat reporter for every major sport. And right now, that major sport is football. It's finally football season. So before we get fully into some game stuff, I did want to talk a little bit about recruiting, which is how we usually start on uh, every show. I just realized I said recruiting. It's because in the podcast notes, I have it written just recruiting, and now it's slowly morphing into the way that I talk. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So those of you that didn't catch it, Desmond Umiozulu. Four-star edge out of Flowers, Maryland, uh, continues the DMV pipeline by committing on Monday. Um, and I did this really interesting fact or fiction with um, Rivals national analyst Adam Friedman earlier this week. He gave me a call and he was like, hey, you want to do a fact or fiction on whether South Carolina has the best D-line recruiting class in the nation? And I was like, oh, like, yeah. I honestly didn't even think that they were in that conversation. But then as I did a little bit of research on it, you have like Clemson, who's got a pretty good class, Alabama, who's got a pretty good class, Florida, who's got got a pretty good class. And then South Carolina is right there in that same breath, really. Um, I did find out as I was doing my research that whether or not they have the top D-line recruiting class in the nation right now, um, it's arguably the top D-line recruiting class, at least by star ranking, um that South Carolina has ever had so in 2011 you could argue that that one was better because they had Clowney which yeah, right. kind of tips the scale <laughs> tips the scales uh pretty, number one overall pretty dramatically yeah and they had two four stars in that class as well um but this is the first class I went all the way back to 2002 you know when Rivals started um this is the first class that's ever had four four star D-line recruits in the same class um, or four-star or higher uh, D-line recruits in the same class. So that's a pretty good way to, to establish the trenches. That's that's what all the coaches and everyone were yeah, exactly. tweeting about. Yeah, um, and really on both sides of the ball, the O-line um, has um, four-star in Tosin Babalade, uh, four-star in Marquis Anderson, and then the group of three-stars they have are very solid, Jatavius, Shivers, um, Isaiah Jada, which is a Juco guy, brings some experience immediately. Um, and I'm, oh, Trovon Ball. How did I forget Trovon? Um, who is like, you know, stereotypical, just like mean streak sort of lineman uh, that you, you yeah. want. So both sides of the line are looking very, very good. You know, definitely the some of the best collection of talent in one class on each side of the line that I've seen in quite some time. Um, another thing recruiting wise. So I put in a future cast that I think uh, Gamecock fans should get pretty excited about. Yeah. Um, I put in a future cast for five star number one, overall athlete uh, number nine overall player in the country. Um, Nicholas Harbor. Now, I say that with a with a caveat. Sometimes I put in a future cast, and I know, you know, someone's got their commitment date coming up, and I'm feeling pretty good about it. That was kind of the case with Desmond Umiozulu, who I put uh, future cast in for maybe I, I guess it was like nine or ten days before he committed. 
it just seemed like things were trending that way. Um, by all accounts, uh, Harbor's not going to commit anytime soon. He's got several official visits to take still. He hasn't taken any of his five. Um, it seems most likely he's definitely going to take one to Michigan and one to South Carolina. Um, he'll be, we, we reported this a few weeks ago. He'll be at South Carolina for the Georgia game in a couple weeks. Um, and then he's probably not going to make his decision until after his high school season's over. So we're looking at like a December, January timeline. Early so, signing period. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in fact, he, I think he's even thinking about uh, pushing it to the late signing period. Oh, but February. Making his decision, yeah. yeah. Making his decision before that, but, you know, not signing in a first group. But again, all that can change, all that's fluid. But me putting in the future cast for Harbor is basically me saying, I think South Carolina is the leader right now, which is something that I wouldn't have said a few weeks ago. Um, they still have some work to do. I think Michigan's given him a lot to think about. Um, I think track will play a factor here. Um, it's still possible that he could just go, you know, the Olympic route. <laughs> He's right. that good uh, as a track and field athlete. So we'll just have to see. But, um, I think South Carolina is in great position, and if you had me put my money on it on this date, it would be to South Carolina. So that's what that future cast means. I'll keep that's, everyone updated. That would there. be a game changer. That you talk about, you know, we talk about the, the men's basketball team with Gigi Jackson. You mentioned Jadavion Clowney there, geez, I guess eleven years ago now. Um, those are the kind of players that can change a class, change a program. Where you think about why this DMV connection is working so well. One, obviously the Beamer name carries a lot of weight there. Um, also, several of the members of the staff have spent time there in various ways. Torian Gray, um, yeah. Yeah, Torian Gray. Um, I know Sterling Lucas spent some time with the Baltimore Ravens, which that's the NFL, but still spent some time in that area. A lot of the assistants are familiar with that area. And then the, the second thing is South Carolina is the closest um, SEC school to that area. Um, so if you have a recruit that wants to play in the best conference in the country, um, then South Carolina is kind of an attractive opinion because it's still drivable from Virginia, from Maryland, whatever. Um, um, a couple Atkins, too, was at Marshall. It's West Virginia, but not DMV, but you got Atkins from that area, too, sort of. Right. Yeah. No, uh, like I said, lots of, and, and a lot of those, uh, assistants, um, have, I mean, obviously this is how assistant coaches work, but have ties to the Beamer name and the Beamer family. Yeah, so, for sure. um, the last thing, as far as just recruiting updates go, there's going to be a lot of visitors in town this weekend. Most of the 2023 guys are current commits. Um, I can get that full list out in the recruiting wrap up tomorrow. Uh, a couple of 24 guys that I just know off the top of my head, but again, it's a, the list is longer than this. Um, running back Jaden Scott, who is a very important um, target for South Carolina. He really blew up this past year in rivals camps. He won like the MVP of um, the Southeast camp in Atlanta, I think. Um, Kelvin Hunter, who is a safety. Um, Maisie O'Bennett, of course, wide receiver out of Greenville. And then even a 25, a 2025 recruit, Amari Adams, D. Lyman, um, who's going to be a really good one. He's a, he's a giant already as a sophomore. Um, so that's just a quick, like, smattering of names, but I'll have the full list in the weekly recruiting wrap-up tomorrow, and it should be, like, 15, 20 long. So uh, quite a few commits on campus this weekend, which we talked a little bit about last week. Like, most of the other – 
schools in the area are playing away, except for Georgia. Um, so it's pretty much Georgia, South Carolina, as far as if you want well, to go. Well, even Georgia, they're playing at Mercedes Benz. They're not in Athens this weekend. Right, right. So, yeah, you're not even going to get the full campus experience uh, with that one. Um, all right. It is game week, finally. Here we, yeah. here we go. Got some football tonight. Um, Got I'm some really good football about, tonight. Yeah. I was say, I'm really excited about the backyard brawl. Yeah. Um, same. Good. I'm, uh, I'm sneaky looking at Penn State, Purdue, too. You can have a really bad time at Purdue if you're not careful, and that's like a Thursday night, week one game. Purdue's got a returning yeah. quarterback. That could be interesting, too. Yeah, I'm just so glad that there's meaningful football being played. Although that Nebraska-Northwestern game, which we're, we're going to talk about just one section of uh, here in a little bit. Um, yeah. But that, that, I mean, it was interesting. It was entertaining. I, you know, yeah. Uh, I wouldn't say it was a good football game, but it was entertaining. Probably not. Uh, I mean, yeah. But yeah. it was there. We got Vanderbilt um, on Saturday too, clearly establishing itself as the national title favorites through week zero. Dude, I can't even argue they, with you. They scored the most points. I sorry, I just went off screen for a second. I'm turning my fan on. They scored the most points that they've scored since nineteen forty eight or something like that. Something insane. Yeah, I don't think people um, really understand how bad of a state of disrepair Todd Graham left Hawaii in with that whole fiasco when he left. That's gonna be a really, really long year there. Well, it's like it's like administration down is kind of in a wreck there. So, yeah, uh, it's unfortunate because I I remember growing up and enjoying watching the late night uh, Hawaii games um, with like Colt Brennan and mm-hmm. those guys there. So. Yep. All right. Well, let's get to some South Carolina football because there is a football game being played at uh, seven. Is it seven or seven thirty? Seven thirty. Seven thirty on Saturday evening against the Georgia State Panthers. Um, we got quite a bit of news to get through as far as game week um, presser information. Uh, the chart finally came out. Um, there's a couple of surprises there, I thought. Um, yeah. I don't know if you had any. My number one surprise was definitely that Mo Kaba was starting over Sherrod Green at the linebacker. I don't know if that's just because Sherrod Green missed a little bit of time with injury or what's going on there. But um, I did see in the like big press packet that they sent us that um, Mo Cabo was named the 2022 most improved player of the spring. Um, and Clayton White was just sort of um, lauding his praises at the yep. press conference today, saying, you know, that he's the sort of football player that you want, sort of flies around, has all those natural instincts, and now he's got the – size and speed to kind of compete at the sec level um so it seems like they're you know giving him the full endorsement there yeah i think it's probably some of both uh you talk about i think sherrod green being hurt and coming off two injury years really part of that's they have to be really cautious with him you can't maybe put him at full speed in these in these practices so i think it's you know it can be six and one half one half dozen and the other um sherrod green being hurt contributed but also from what we've seen and what we've heard mo Kaba had a really good spring obviously and a really good fall too um a really good camp here and yeah i think i don't know if it's so much that sherrod green lost the spot as much as that mo Kaba took it yeah and i expect both to get quite a few snaps as long as sherrod yeah. green's healthy um but uh, I definitely thought that, you know, the six-year senior was going to get the, the first snap. So 
that's interesting. Of course, maybe we shouldn't be reading too much into the depth chart. Um, I know Clayton White got a little annoyed at uh, reporters yesterday for asking yeah. about the depth chart. He got um, three questions in a row about different pieces of the depth chart, one of which was from me, and he's finally like, just stop. Just don't use the word depth chart. <laughs> was that his response to your question, or was it someone after you? Uh, I think that was actually me, because I went third. It was uh, two <laughs> others. And then and then you sent me the, like, okay, substitution, or what'd you send? Like, depth or <laughs> no. spreadsheet of substitutions or something? Yeah, a spreadsheet of depth. That's it. it sounded yeah. like spreadsheet of depth a little bit to me. What, what, <laughs> what, what were your other favorite uh other names that you could call it depth chart oh i had a few on um on twitter alan underscore cole you can follow me there i had um what did i have playing time receipts i had weekly role <laughs> reminder um positional update i had four or five on there but yeah, yeah we're no. just gonna not use the word depth we're gonna step <laughs> around that even it's funny because i feel like the defensive debt art is pretty straightforward uh, there was yeah. a lot less fours written on it um but we called it last week the wide receiver room just completely like here's all six of these people and yep. they're all starters i guess um depending on the scheme depending on whatever the game plan is going to be so it looks like you got a big six of let's see if i can name them all off the top of my head josh van antoine wells um amarian brown xavier leggett uh corey rucker well, Corey Rucker, but he's probably he not probably not initial, this Saturday, but in general. Yeah. He was on that initial six though. Um we're missing someone. Very oh, the Karen Joyner. Yeah. And someone else. But yeah, so that was anyway, basically yesterday. Um I know we talked about this a little bit last week. Um again, if you're getting down to a point where you're at your third string quarterback, things are probably going sideways anyway at that point. But there was talk yesterday from Marcus Satterfield. He was mentioning, like, there's still some packages for on joining our quarterback in the playbook. That's not something they would rule out. Again, if they ever got to the extreme circumstance where Spencer and Luke couldn't play. Um, maybe on Joyner is the third-string quarterback. I, I'm thinking he probably is. Although, yeah, notably, they did not list that on the depth chart either. Um, but I also think it seems like they're going to – make an emphasis of at least giving him a series or a couple of plays or whatever per game, um, which I think is, is probably smart. Like Spencer Rattler is mobile, but I wouldn't call him the electric runner that the Gary and Joyner can be. Right. Um, the only problem with the way that I think that they've used him in the past is usually he has not been a threat to throw the ball at all, but maybe since he threw the ball a bit in the bowl game and kind of, show that he has that the the ability to at least be serviceable in that category um they can mix that in a little bit and then it makes it less obvious when he's in the game that they're just gonna run you know a quarterback keeper or zone read or whatever um but yeah i would expect to see him i don't know if you pull him out against georgia state or whatever but i would expect to see him in these first three games uh take some snaps at quarterback it's going to be a very specific sort of it might be a goal line package it might be a red zone thing it might be a fourth and one just something kind of not maybe on your regular play sheet for a specific situation i think might be where you get some to carry on joiner under center yeah, I don't know if you watched uh, the games from last year, Alan, but um, Marcus Satterfield has been known to get 
creative with the trick plays and stuff. And, you know, sometimes oh, I know what he did against Tennessee. I can see you shaking right, your head. Some, sometimes that's not gone well with right. Jordan, Jordan Birch, uh, you know, throwing an interception in the end zone, uh, really squashing any momentum. But um, I also, I believe it was against Auburn. I saw that they put in um, a backup offensive lineman. Uh, I can't remember who it is right now. Um, but they put in a back backup offensive lineman at fullback and threw him a little like uh, dump pass off to the side, which scored a touchdown. So, it, you know, varying results. It's it's worked sometimes. It hasn't worked sometimes. But I expect to to see some trickeration. It just seems like that that's part of it. And honestly, I like that. It was Trey Jones was the offensive lineman that they put in at fullback last year as a freshman. Um, other depth chart things, though, uh, you got Dylan Dylan Wanham. Uh, you got that call right that he's going to start over um, Tyshawn Wanamaker. But we, as we said, we expect play. And really, Satterfield yesterday said <clears throat> that they have like eight or nine deep at offensive line that they expect to rotate in. Yeah, I mean, Wanham had the job before he got hurt last year. There was no reason to think he would have lost it if he hadn't have gotten hurt last year. So I think that was probably always where it was going to trend, even though he did get pushed a little bit in camp, it sounds like. Right. And then on defense, we talked about how Nick Minwari and DQ Smith both got a lot of high praise as freshmen throughout the preseason, uh, Nick Minwari especially. And both of them were listed on the 2D um, backing up the safeties. So if either RJ Roderick or Devine Reed need a breather or can't go, we're expecting to see some freshman play on Saturday night, which is that's pretty cool. Uh, they're, pr they're pretty much the only ones I saw on the 2D that are true freshmen that should get yep. some playing time immediately other than on special teams. Right. That's kind of scary when you talk about both of them at the same position. Um, obviously, again, you're not anticipating um, – both your safeties going down or even one of them, but it's still this thing, you know, it's same position. If, if either one of them goes down, you're putting a true freshman in the game. Right. And I imagine if either safety was out for either or both safeties were out for a while, they might do some shuffling around back there. Sure. See, see uh, you know, Tyrese Ross, maybe. Like, right. Or that Marcellus style, someone like that. Um, but yeah, we'll just have to see. Um, and then the other, the only other thing that really stood out to me from the depth chart, which you can tell me if there's anything else, was that Xavier Leggett was listed as the starter at kick returner, which to me, he has never flashed as someone that's like a burner, but right. it seems like he's, he's got, um, pretty steady hands and he can put, you know, a move or two on. So, um, I don't hate that, you know, I, I think we're going to see a lot of different people in their role through the year. I don't think that's going to be a lock thing. Yeah. And, and there was something that uh, Pete Limbo said yesterday about Marshawn Lloyd on special teams and that he was going to have like some sort of special role that they didn't want to share yet too, which I don't know if that's going to be just in blocking or tackling or if that's going to be trying to put the ball in his hands. I don't know, but I don't know if that's um, necessarily a good idea either if he's your starting running back, right. but yeah, I, I really enjoyed seeing Juju McDowell turning kicks last year, so I'm kind of um, intrigued. Maybe they'll do like a, a two-back sort of thing. We'll, we'll have to see on Saturday night. Anything else from the depth chart that stood out to you? Oh, that pretty much covers it. I mean, like you said, the defense is straightforward. 
four out of the five offensive line spots had themselves decided it was just the right tackle. Obviously, you know, we know what the deal is a quarterback. We know the wide receiver group's pretty kind of strung together right now. Uh, yeah, I think that was not really real surprises. All right. Well, let's talk some of the press conferences we've had this week. So we had players and um, Shane Bieber on Tuesday. <laughs> uh, for better or worse, the the biggest quote that I remember from the players on Tuesday was Antoine Wells Jr. says yeah. that we're going to go out there and kill him. Um, <laughs> which, yeah. Uh, Marcus Satterfield followed up yesterday and said basically that he's a great player that needs to watch what he says in press conferences or something like that. Yeah, it was it was tough because like you knew someone asked him um, basically what you what are you seeing from Georgia State on the tape? Like what's kind of the takeaways getting ready? And I think what he meant to say was more we're focused on ourselves. We're focused on making us the best we can. We're not so much looking at Georgia State. But the way that came out was more, oh, it doesn't matter who the opponent is. We're going to kill him. Which I don't think yeah. is exactly what he meant to say, but it's what he said. So hey, I like the attitude. Just maybe don't give the opposing team something to put on their their board. Sean Elliott, yeah, Sean Elliott's going to be running out of thumbtacks here soon. <laughs> um, anything else stand out to you from the players that day? I know you have a little little teaser here, but you have an extended um, article coming out on Jordan Strahan, who of course played uh georgia state that'll be coming out on tomorrow tomorrow yeah um which by the way gamecocksgroup.com um that's going to be a really really uh good article i know that you spoke to like some members of his family it's mm -hmm. it's a deep dive um so that should that should be really good um but he spoke with the media uh this week and then cam smith anything really stand out from the players to you uh, I think mainly what stood out is, especially from Spencer Rattler, is all this talk, all this offseason, all this hype. Spencer Rattler is very ready to play a football game. Like, it's palpable. He actually said verbatim, like, I'm ready to get hit once or twice because obviously he's not getting hit in fall camp as a starting quarterback. Um, he's talking about how excited he is, atmosphere, getting hit, playing games. Like, I mean, we're all excited. I'm excited to cover a game. You're excited to watch a game. Like, we're all there. This team seems really, really, really ready to run out of the tunnel right now. Just like a pot that's going to bubble off. Yeah, I don't know if you played like football in high school or anything, I um, I but I, I played uh, in high school, and I just remember that the fall camp just like felt like it dragged on mm -hmm. forever. And then, yeah, you would scrimmage a little bit here and there, but those, that first time that you finally got to hit someone on an opposing team, because you're still kind of holding back in scrimmages. You don't want to hurt Injure your teammates, you know? right? Yeah, exactly. Um, so just uh, that that transition from like, okay, we are finally uh, – everything that we've prepared for is kind of coming to a head. I, I can definitely empathize with that um, that feeling. And, and that feeling of, yeah, wanting to get hit too, right? Like he, uh, there's – I know there are sometimes the spring game, and then I even remember – uh, from the welcome home first uh, footage of scrimmage one, where Spencer Rattler like would go on, take off on a run and get like two hand touched or whatever, and right. he's like, "Nah, I would have broken that tackle." And then we're like, "Well, you know, we have to stop this." So now we'll see if he's actually going to just run through those tackles, which is something that he worked on in the off season was like bulking up and, and being able to take um, a little bit more of an aggressive mindset into his run game. Um, another 
real quick note on Rattler is that um, Jadavion Clowney will be in the house on Saturday night because his number is being retired. Um, that does not, well, his jersey is being retired, not his number. Um, so that just means people can still wear the number, but his, you know, jersey is going to be honored and forever in the annals of uh, South Carolina history. Um, and, and I did see that Riley kind of commented on that a second that, you know, Clowney's the best defensive uh, end to ever come through college football and, you know, that he felt honored that he's going to be wearing the same number or whatever. Yeah, he said it wasn't even Clowney. He, he says he wore seven growing up because he was a Michael Vick fan, which I can see his mobile quarterback growing up. Um, and then he got to Oklahoma and um, CeeDee Lamb had that number. So he went to two and now he's back in South Carolina. Um, he wanted seven again which I don't think that was even clowning related, but that's pretty cool that if Rattler's as good as people think he might be and this season breaks the way it could, two of the best players in the last decade of the program could have both had number seven. Right. <laughs> um, well, we will have to see it. And yeah, you get one on each side of the ball, then, you know, it'd be nice to one day retire. Um, although I don't know if you retired after one season, I guess it depends on how exceptional that season is. Right. <laughs> Um, and then, uh, Coach Beamer talked on Tuesday. He also talked for a little bit yesterday. Um, injury wise, it seems like, uh, Kai Kroger should be good to go. Um, sounds like it. And that Christian Beal Smith should be able to play, which is a little bit surprising. Um, but that he was listed as the or with Juju McDowell behind, uh, Marshawn Lloyd on the depth chart. So we'll see how much. Christian Bill Smith actually plays or if they let him take another week off or, um, you know, if he's just kind of there in case someone gets hurt or whatever. And then Corey Rucker is the one that kind of sounds pretty questionable heading into Saturday night, unfortunately. Yeah, nobody seemed super bullish on him being able to play. Beamer said he still had a long way to go. Satterfield was, you know, talking about using other receivers in depth if he can't go. Um, it doesn't seem like it's trending that way. Right. Um, another thing that I thought pretty much every coach and, and several players hit on, I don't know if just someone in the room was asking specifically about it, was about game day atmosphere, which I, I gave you a, a short list, you guys a short list, list earlier of some recruits that are going to be in town, uh, which I'll give that full list tomorrow on GameCocksGroup.com. But um, yeah, it seems like that they were really hyping up this idea that South Carolina's atmosphere is going to be exceptional. It's always been exceptional, but it's kind of taken that step forward, which I put out an article on like what to expect at Williams Bryce Stadium. There's, there's been a lot of upgrades this offseason. Um, and I've really found it interesting that Shane Beamer, without saying so, basically said that South Carolina's game day atmosphere was more impressive than Oklahoma's, which I. Yeah, no, that's pretty much exactly what he said. He said, you know, I've been in other schools and other conferences and they weren't as good. That's saying it without saying it. No, he went even further than that. He said something like, "Other schools that ever con other conferences very recently <laughs> that yeah. was good." And I was like, "Okay, so we're just we're talking about Oklahoma here, got it?" <laughs> um, yeah, not as yeah, I mean, as you think there. It's true, though. I mean, I know that this will be your first experience inside Williams yep. Price, right? Can't so, wait. Um, and what am I in from for? What like seriously, as someone who's been doing <laughs> this for like twenty, what am I actually in for on Saturday? Uh, I, I've never been in the press box, but, um, the stadium itself is going to get really rowdy, especially right at the beginning and especially, um, on third downs, you know, uh, 
big moments, all that sort of thing. So the I did see that we're nearing a sellout, at least from like initial sales. I did see that there was some like resale tickets and stuff like that, but um, there aren't very many tickets left. I know that the students got have pretty much filled their allotment. It's the highest um, student student request since 2015. So a night game, people have plenty of time to get nice and liquored up or whatever. So I, it's gonna be rowdy. Yeah, I'm I'm excited for you. Um, it's going to be interesting I, for sure. I wish that I could be there. I'll be there in a couple of weeks and I, I hope we get a good atmosphere for Georgia as well. Um, well for sure. But yeah, so you'll, you'll have to tell me what it's like from the press box and how much the, the sound bleeds in and stuff. But it's 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 a legit SEC atmosphere. I, I mean, I know I have that, South, no doubt Carolina, about that South Carolina is like national perception or whatever may not be. Uh, the elite of the elite in SEC, but I I think their game day atmosphere is comparable with almost any other stadium in the SEC. So should be fun. Yeah, I've been to Georgia, Florida, and Auburn in the SEC, and then I've also been to Clemson, which is kind of similar. You know, it's ACC. So I'm excited. See what I can see. What I got here. Yeah. So I've been to a few Clemson games. Definitely some Clemson Carolina games. Um, grew up, you know, closer to that area. Um, but I, I don't think it's comparable. I mean, it gets it gets loud. I, whatever, Clemson people can at me or whatever. Yeah, they're gonna clip that. That's fine. I don't care. It gets loud, but it's it's not the same. It's not the same. I don't know. Uh, I've 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 been granted. I've been in Williams Bryce Stadium in some of the like loudest moments, like. Arguably, if you ask any fan, some of the loudest moments in, in South Carolina history, notably the Thursday night game against Ole Miss um, in 2009, where they had, you know, Jevons need running for his life. And um, that was the first sort of top five win of the, the Spurrier era. I think Ole Miss was ranked number four when they came in or, or something like that. Um and that that crowd that crowd wasn't even a sellout. It was a Thursday night, so there's probably like sixty five thousand in there or something. But literally, I, I've never heard anything louder than that in my entire life in the fourth quarter on those third downs because it was like a sixteen to ten game or something. So defense played a big role. Um, and yeah, I'm I'm excited for you. Hopefully, uh, it's not super loud in the fourth quarter because that means they've taken care of business tight, by then, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> The one people um, always tell me about is the, and some of that was where I grew up too, the 2012 Georgia game, where it was game day was there and it was a top five, mat, uh, maybe top 10 matchup and Clowney yeah. went off. And that's the one people always tell me like this place is going to fall down. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't present for that one, but um, just from TV, it seemed absolutely insane. I mean, they, they hopped out to a 28 to nothing or 21 to nothing lead in the first quarter. I was saying, A. Sanders uh, yeah. house one on a on a punt return, and I think at that moment was probably that might have been the loudest that that stadium's ever been. I mean, like I said, I wasn't I wasn't there for that one, but I have to imagine that kind of like broke the yeah. scale on that one. I, I, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but um, they actually released the transcript of Kurt Herbstreit and uh, who was he calling the game? It with? Might have still been Musburger uh, at that point. It might have been Musburger. But they're like talking during the commercial break, and they're like, "Do you do you feel that shaking?" <laughs> they're like, "This whole this whole stadium's swaying right now." And uh, he was like, "I'm actually getting a little little afraid." And they're like, yeah. "Have you ever seen anything like it?" You know. Um, so it's it's cool. Uh, I don't know that you'll get that level, but it, it should still be really cool. Yep. 
Um, all right. As far as the game itself, so we've kind of talked a lot. Preview, was there anything else from the press conferences that you wanted to cover? No, just one Marcus Satterfield note, but we've got that for later. We're going to talk about him in another way, so I'm going to save that, but not really. Okay. All right, sounds great. Um, so we have done several features so far kind of previewing the game. This is something that will happen weekly on GameCastGroup.com. Also, I forgot to mention this. Um, right now, through now for ninth, so the first two weeks of the season, um, if you join for a year, you can pay $22, get access to GameCastGroup.com, all the premium content for just $22 because it's 2022. You know? um, and, that, yeah, that's a really good deal. That's usually 100 bucks. Saving us eighty percent, eighty-eight percent, no, seventy-eight percent. Sorry, there you go. Math is not my strong suit. Um, <laughs> nice seventy-eight percent off the uh, the normal price there, and I definitely recommend that because um, each week we're going to have um, a lot of really cool features, kind of previewing the upcoming opponent. So one of those uh, came out yesterday. It's called Behind Enemy Lines. Um, Stan Altry with the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, who follow, who uh, covers Georgia State, wrote an article kind of just like previewing the game from his perspective. Um, and then we also had Perry McCarty, who is our coach uh, in-house. He, he used to coach um, high school in South Carolina and in Louisiana. Um, he did like a film breakdown of some of the key players and stuff to look for for Georgia State. So, um, you know, I think the number one key to this game, and I think it's pretty inaugurable, is, and you've, you've written about this a little bit too, um, South Carolina's run defense can have a way to slow Georgia State down because they are really good at running the ball. They were like number eight in the country last year, um, you know, and one through five or whatever is always going to be taken up by the service academy. So, really you can argue higher than that as far as a non-triple option team um and south carolina was very not good uh, against the run last year i think they were ranked like 91st or something against the run last year so yeah how do you see that playing out this push pull between the run defense and uh georgia state's run game no it's that's really where the whole game is i think it can it was going back to the press first, like it was Cam Smith, actually, when someone asked him, you know, his thoughts on the tape and what he saw was, we know what they're going to do. They, they want to run the ball. I don't think it's any secret. That's what Georgia State's good at. Their head coach was an offensive line coach for 16 years between App State and South Carolina. They're going to ground and pound you. That's, that's the identity. It's what they built their program on, and they're really good at it. And they've got, you know, an all-Sun Belt player at center. Um, they've got, I think he was the guy who was third team all-conference at left guard, too. Um, it's going to have to be disciplined for South Carolina. It's going to have to be gap sound. It's going to have to be um, sticking to the scheme. Because physically, South Carolina should still be bigger than Georgia State. This is not a Georgia-sized offensive line. This is not even a Clemson-sized offensive line. It is still a Sunbelt line. Like, size-wise, there is an advantage for South Carolina. But it's a very technically sound, fundamentally solid Georgia State offensive line that's played together a lot. So... You're going to have to be sound in your gaps in your scheme on defense if you're going to be able to fight that for South Carolina. And I think that's where this really kind of tips the scales one way or another. Yeah, I mean, South Carolina fans should remember Sean Elliott as the run game coordinator uh, for Steve Spurrier. Now, it, it helped a good bit that um, a lot of those years he was run game coordinator. They had some excellent running backs and you know, Marcus Lattimore, Mike Davis, these sorts of guys. But um he, you know, really revamped Spurrier's offense 
offensive philosophy from the run game standpoint. Um, and it was really his schemes that they kind of installed into uh, Spurrier's fun and gun to make the running game work. So it's no surprise to me that he's been so effective at establishing a solid run game there at Georgia State. Um, and it's not just the running backs, although the running backs, one South Carolina fans will definitely recognize as Jameis Williams, who played corner at South Carolina before transferring. Um, he's been moved to running back, and he's the more like, I guess, lightning to the thunder and lightning. And yeah, then you got Tucker Gregg. Yeah. Then you have Tucker Gregg, who's more of the, the, the power guy. But Darren Granger himself uh, put up 600-something yards rushing last, last year. Um, and South Carolina fans can tell you that in the past, um, <laughs> running quarterbacks have kind of been a bugaboo. Um, so, you know, going to have to contain him, make him stay in the pocket, throw the ball down the field. Um, and see how our, our secondary can hold up. But uh, I think that's going to make things uncomfortable early. It's also something, um, if Carolina fans remember the game against Navy back in, I want to say it was 2013 or 2012, one of those two, um, where Stuffy was definitely the better team from an athletic standpoint, but Navy was able to just keep like churning first downs and you really shorten the game that way, right? You go from having, you know, 10, 11 uh, possessions of offense to seven or eight, and then you have to really take advantage of those seven or eight opportunities. And if you make any mistakes, you know, you, you, you don't have any time to make it, make up the ground. So um, South Carolina needs to score early and and make uh, Georgia State have to kind of play from behind because if they can get into their rhythm and kind of keep it into this back and forth game uh, or even a game where they jump out to an early lead, things can get really dicey. That's what I was just going to say there. I was talking about this with someone else in the building yesterday. This is a very game script dependent game. You've got to play from ahead. At worst, you need to stay in striking distance. You can't be at a point where Georgia State can just do what they do. Because the other thing is, this is a very experienced Georgia State team. Shane Beamer's gone on and on about how they beat Tennessee in 2019, how they were one play away from beating Auburn last year. I think sometimes in these group of five or even FCS teams going up to FBS or SEC in this case, there's a deer in headlights thing that happened. Oh my God, we're winning in the second half. We have a chance for an upset. There's a thing that happens. You kind of just lose your composure a little bit. That's not going to be Georgia State. I mean, Sean Elliott was literally on the coaching staff at Appalachian State when they beat Michigan at the Big House 15 years ago today, actually. They're not going to panic if they are if they have a lead late. They're good at closing down a game. You can't play from behind against this team. Yeah, I, um, I did see that in the Behind Enemy Lines segment, um, Stan called South Carolina to win 28-21. And one of our players... Yeah, I think I, I had it like 31-17, something like that. 31-21. Yeah. Um, but um, one of our uh, posters on the Insiders Forum, which, by the way, if you join for that $22 a month, you can post on the Insiders Forum and ask us questions and all that. But one of our posters on the Insiders Forum uh, said a seven-point win would be a loss. And to me, I, I don't really have that mindset about this game. I, I, I think people might be underestimating how good this team is. I mean, this is, yeah, it's a G5 school or whatever, but they're very experienced. Um, they're returning pretty much all of the parts of that run game that was so effective last year. And 
I think South Carolina will score on their defense. Their, their defense is, is exploitable. But um, South Carolina's defense is going to have their hands full with this Georgia State offense. Yeah, and, you know, you almost never hear, I'm writing a little bit about this for my uh, preview for the rest of the game, kind of bigger one for running, I think, Saturday morning. You almost never hear coaches, like, put an opponent down or, oh, this is, you know, we every team's good, they all have players, but – Shane Beamer said point blank, this ain't Eastern Illinois, who was the one in 10 FCS team they opened with last year. And Pete Lembo, special teams coordinator, said the same thing yesterday. Like, this is not Eastern Illinois. This is a different challenge. Um, and you don't usually hear coaches just straight up say that a team they played in the past wasn't good, but that's pretty much what the implication is here, that this is a completely different type of season opener than what they had last year. Yeah, if I'm trying to put it in, in like, reference to South Carolina's schedule last year, especially if we're thinking about their wins. I mean, I think Georgia State's better than ECU. Mm -hmm. Probably. I think better than Vandy was I last year. I don't even think it's a question. Yeah. Um, you know. Probably better than Missouri, too, which was a game South Carolina didn't win. But yeah. It really I, I would say, Go ahead. I would just say, I would say they're, they were comparable to like North Carolina. They don't have Sam Howell back there throwing right. throwing the ball around, which he had a pretty rough bowl game anyway. Um, but where, you know, they don't have someone that's maybe an elite passer. They have an elite rusher at quarterback. Um, yeah, I, I, it's, this is a quality, quality opponent to start, the, to start the year. It's not Eastern Illinois. So I hope fans understand that um, and view any sort of win this week as a win. Now, granted, you, you win by two or three scores, you should you should feel pretty good about it. But I would um, definitely agree with that. I think yeah. Auburn really is the um, team, just to quickly go back to your point. Georgia State played Auburn last year. South Carolina played Auburn last year. Georgia State lost that game at the last minute. Carolina won it kind of late. It's comparable. Like, they were about right. on Auburn's level last year. We know that was a tough game for South Carolina. Right. Which South Carolina's upgraded on offense, but – it remains to be seen if they've upgraded on defense, you know, like you're, you're going to miss uh, having like uh, Inigbare coming off the edge, um, which we're going to talk about who might, might step into that role. Um, yeah. It's, you know, you're going to miss having a, uh, a Jalen Foster, um, even though I do think that they replaced him with a very suitable um, safety in Devani Reed, but everyone's got to stay healthy too. Uh, other factors for the game uh, early, we talked about this last week, early on, it looked like there was going to be a pretty torrential down, downpour on Saturday night. Um, there's still like a slight chance that there could be some thunderstorms. Um, I think it was like 55% chance last time I checked, but should be, you know, at least mostly dry. <laughs> Shouldn't it, at, least, at the very least it won't be a monsoon, which is nice. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think that um, it's going to be it's going to be quite the test. One more just interesting note: uh, another key player on Georgia State. This is someone that Stan Autry pointed out that I actually hadn't heard of. Um, tight end Aubrey Payne. I, I we we just posted on the site a, a star power um, article where we kind of do, looked at the recruits from our, the, the starting lineups for each team and, and who they were as recruits. Aubrey Payne was a 2016 recruit. <laughs> he, he got granted his seventh year of eligibility. 
uh, to play. So, I mean, that that guy's what, twenty five? Probably got a mortgage. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's 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 interesting to see. Any other notes on the game or on Georgia State that maybe we haven't covered? Um, just my one other kind of quick note that I think could swing this game either way. And we've talked about it plenty, uh, turnovers either way. Of course, that's been probably the biggest question with Spencer Rattler when he was at Oklahoma. That was something both these defenses excelled at last year. We know South Carolina led the SEC in takeaways and Georgia state also set its program record for takeaways last year. If either team gets a couple that obviously changes things considerably, but I, you just don't know how that's going to shake out until you get into the game. Yeah, I mean, that's one that you can never really predict, but obviously in these um, sort of G5 versus P5 early season upsets, um, a lot of the the factors center around whether or not you're playing sloppy. And that's, I, I know that that's something that the coaches have talked about a good bit this week, both from turnover standpoint and from a penalty standpoint, is that they want to be in midseason form. Of course, everyone wants to, right? But be in midseason form. Uh, this first week, because if not, those those early mistakes can kind of come back to bite you. Right. Um, one more thing that I wanted to do or that we wanted to do before we season started officially is kind of go on the record with our final preseason predictions. Um, so how, how's the season going to play out, Alan? We got a couple categories here that we're going to kind of put. I'm going to put you on the spot or maybe you thought a little bit about. Um, and then, yeah, we're officially, this is, this is our take now. So what's your, uh, final record prediction for South Carolina this year? I'm sticking with what I wrote on our website a couple of weeks ago when we did the staff predictions. Uh, I'm saying seven and five. Um, I definitely think there is a ceiling for eight or nine if things break right. Um, I'm not quite comfortable going there. I think the depth on defense is still a concern. Um, once guys get hurt through the year, but I think seven's a fair target. There's there's definitely winnable games you can pick off here. There's swing games in the SEC that this team should be capable of at least competing in, and if a couple of those break your way, that's obviously going to raise the ceiling. I think seven and five is fair, and that's where I'm sticking, but I know you're a little bit more bullish than I am. Well, yeah, I said eight and four, but I'm not always sure how it plays out because I think I put you know one thing down for – our staff picks a couple weeks ago on the, on that article, I think I had them. I don't, did I pick them upsetting Georgia at that point? I don't remember. I, it's kind you of picked them upsetting Georgia and Clemson and still losing four games. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And then I just finished the game by game previews and predictions where I did like a deep dive on each team on the schedule throughout the off season. And when I had went on the record and, said what was going to happen which is like impossible to do when you're thinking about games in november but i tried um and i still ended up with eight and four but i think i had them losing to georgia and clemson but beating uh florida tennessee missouri kentucky like basically running the whole east other than georgia um to get to that eight and four which i think i had all of those except kentucky yeah i think in the initial one i had them losing to Tennessee and Kentucky or Tennessee and Florida or something like that. So yeah, I think eight and four, but I have no idea how it's going to get there necessarily. I feel like they're probably going to lose at least one, one of those swing games that they should win a la Kentucky or um, Missouri. Um, And then I think that they're probably going to win a game that they're not expected to win. Maybe Arkansas or Texas A&M, 
maybe Georgia, maybe Clemson. Um, I, I think out of those four, they're going to pull off one of them. I just don't know. Which four which again? Arkansas, and Georgia, A&M, and Clemson? Yeah. Which are the four toughest games on the schedule? Probably. Yeah, I think most people would agree with that. Interesting. But I also think that they'll drop one that they shouldn't too. So we'll see. But that's that's my take. Eight and four, seven and five. All right. What about the leading rusher this year? Who do you think is going to lead the team in rushing? I really wanted to say Christian Beal Smith because I'm a big believer that like if you're bringing a sixth year guy in from the portal from another Power Five program, you're not bringing him here to sit. Like he's going to get carries. But between his injury stuff and what sounds like a very good preseason camp for Marshawn Lloyd, I'm going to stick with Marshawn Lloyd and say that he leads the team in rushing. I almost went Juju McDowell because I feel like they might use him in like that lightning versus thunder sort of uh, dynamic. And, you know, he was in the bowl game. I think he averaged like nine yards of carry or something. If if they – pick their spots uh, to get him out in space. He's electric in space. Um, but I don't know if he's going to get the carries. And it, like you said, it sounds like Marshawn Lloyd has had an excellent preseason. It sounds like being like the five-star recruit that he was um, when he came in. So I ultimately think it's going to be Lloyd as well. Let's just hope he can stay healthy. Um, leading receiver. This is the toughest one on the whole list here, honestly, that you've given me. Um that one is tough. Again, there's like six options here. I'm going to go with Jaheim Bell. I know he's technically a tight end, but I think you just meant like leader in receiving yards when you wrote this. Yeah, um, I did, yeah. Um, I just think that frame, that size, his ball skills, he was second on the team last year, I believe, behind only behind Josh Van. Uh, I think having a much better quarterback situation is going to work for him really well, uh, especially in the red zone where he can use his frame a little more. Yeah, I this is tough. I don't think there's really a wrong answer to this one. I would say Jaheim Bell, but I'm curious what you have to say. Yeah, I think Bell's going to lead in yards per catch. Um, he's going to be the most explosive for sure. Um, but as far as like leading receiver, I think it, I actually picked Antoine Wells Jr. Um, from what I've been able to tell, he established a connection with Spencer Rattler pretty immediately after arriving on campus. Um, in the spring game, he got peppered with a couple of passes, like right on that first couple of series. Um, I think that he's going to be sort of a possession receiver. Um, and I expect him to lead the team in catches at the very least. And if you lead the team in catches, you have a good chance of leading in yards. Although I think there can be an argument to be made for Van, argument to be made for Bell, and an argument to be made for... Uh, like a Xavier Leggett, who's come on really strong, and I don't really know what to expect from him. I, I know that yeah. everyone's talking him up. Um, I wasn't expecting him to see to necessarily see him in that top group. If you would have asked me, you know, last spring, um, so you know, maybe he's taking a step forward and he's going to have an elite sort of year. But yeah, I, I, I think that there are plenty of options, and I think the ball is going to be spread around. But uh, if I have to put my name down, I'm going to put it on Antoine Wells. Uh, all right, let's move to defense. Who do you think is going to lead the team in sacks? I think most people would say one of the two Jordans here, either Birch or Strawn. I'm going with Birch, uh, five-star recruit. Hasn't, you know, had some different things. He came in in the COVID season. That was tough. He's been through a coaching change. He's here now. He's he's starting. He's got his role. He's the five-star. I think people are probably going to see the real Jordan Birch this year, the one that was so hyped when he was recruited. Um, I think he's going to have a 
big year if he stays healthy. <laughs> All right, just real quick quiz. How many career sacks do you think Jordan Birch has? Four? <laughs> He's got one. One? Uh, yeah, it was last year, too. He, so he had one sack last year, and that's one on his career um but no I, I i by all means it sounds like he's kind of taken the step forward he had very high expectations as the highest rated d-line recruit since Clowney whenever he came in um and then kind of like you said had those various struggles that you you just talked about but um it sounds like he's arrived and he's he's ready to sort of make his his name known and and hopefully make a push for an nfl draft position and all that sort of thing. So if all that's true, you could be right. I picked the other Jordan, uh, Jordan Strayan, who has 13 career sacks. He had four last year. Um, and yeah, I, or sorry, he had three last year, but he has 13 and a half on his career. Now, granted, some of that was at the lower level when he was playing with Georgia State. Um, but yeah, uh, I expect him to be used primarily in pass rushing situations, although uh, you can make an argument for Brad Johnson if if you want to use the same sort of like rationale, I guess. Um, and yeah, they know what they have with them. I mean, he's a speed guy off the edge that's going to be expected to go after the quarterback. So I think, yeah, he's just more of a pass rush, pass rush specialist. Um, but Jordan Birch will be in there pretty much every play. So he's going to have maybe a couple more opportunities. We'll see. Um, and then on the back end, who do you think is going to lead in interceptions? I think I have to go with Cam Smith. I mean, there's it's some intriguing options. You've got Devonnie Reed's experience. Um, RJ Roderick's had a couple picks in his career, but I, I think it all just has to come back to the guy who's probably going to be a top 10, 15 pick in the NFL draft in April. Yeah, so Cam Smith last season had three interceptions, and that is that ties everyone else – uh, ties or exceeds everyone else's career interceptions. Yeah. Um, so Devonnie Reed has three in his career. RJ Roderick has two in his career. <laughs> Jordan Birch has one in his career. Yep. So one sack and one interception. So there you go. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think house money has to be on Cam Smith for sure. So no, no uh, controversial opinion there. Um, what about Spencer Rattler touchdown passes? If you had to put the over under, where are you putting that over under at? I'm going to set it. This is a good one. Cause I'm trying to set it and also decide if I'd go over or under it. Um, I'd set it around like 31 and a half, 32 and a half. We we're making a Vegas spread here. Um, his career high is 28. But that was also in the slightly COVID short COVID shortened season at Oklahoma, so we didn't get a full uh, a full twelve games there or thirteen with a bowl. So I think you're close if he stays healthy. I think this offense is going to throw the ball a lot. He was averaging about one touchdown every thirteen pass attempts at Oklahoma. Um, so you can do the math there with how often you think South Carolina is going to throw the ball. I'd say it probably ends in the thirty to thirty five range for Spencer. So what's your official answer? 32 and a half. And you're saying over. over. Yeah. I'll say like okay. 35. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, we had the thought I 30, which is probably underselling it a little bit. Um, Cause I would probably smash the over on 30. Um, and yeah, I looked up the same thing, right? He had 28 in that COVID shortened season. 
he plays a full 13 games with the bowl game, um, then I think he should exceed 30, no problem, uh, as long as everything goes according to plan. Um, 35 would be pushing it, I think. 35 would be like... Uh, that's the upper limit, yeah. That's a very good season, yeah. Because um, what, that's... Little has about three a game. That's all. Yeah, so you're, yeah. you're doing pretty good if, if he's averaging three a game. Um, all right, the last two are a little bit of a joke, but um, I said over under message board bashings for Marcus Satterfield, um, which last year pretty much any time the offense wasn't performing well, which was most games, um, the the message board is just a litany of uh, fire Satterfield. Oh, Marcus Satterfield, blah 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 which he, he actually spoke a little bit on that. Um, he's spoken on it a couple times throughout the offseason, but he spoke about it a little bit this week. Um, I don't know if you had anything to say about that. Yeah, someone asked him yesterday kind of about, I think the question was worded, like, is he ready to get to a new season and just kind of turn the page from the all the criticism he had last year? He was very just like, yeah, imagine, you know, he said a lot of other offensive coordinators would have come in here and struggled if they had to play four quarterbacks, which is Fair. I can't say he's wrong about that. The quarterback situation was pretty bleak last year. But the flip side of that is that once you back yourself into that corner and you kind of imply, hey, if I had a if I had a good starting quarterback, I would have put up really good numbers on offense. All right. Well, now you have your quarterback. You back yourself into a corner there, and it's, he's going to have to deliver with that. Yeah. So that was something I noticed in the spring too. Um, both he, Adkins, and Beamer all blamed a lot of the sacks that the offensive line gave up on the quarterback play as well. Um, so that's been kind of this ongoing theme of like, oh, well, we had to play four quarterbacks, which like, again, like you said, fair, not an ideal situation. You'd never want uh, your grad assistant starting games at quarterback. Um, but there's really no more excuses then. Uh, right. it, now that you have Rattler, and even if Rattler gets hurt, we've talked throughout the offseason that, that Doty – you know, seems 100% healthy. It seems like he's got everyone's confidence, you know, all that sort of thing. So, you know, you got options now. <laughs> and uh, I don't think that you're going to be able to lean on that as an excuse if things do go south. Now, I'm going to start off the season optimistic and believe, you know, what they're saying that um, so much of the struggles last year were because of the quarterback. But I, I do think... Uh, if some struggles start to happen, you're going to start to see some people start to chirp once again at Mark Satterfield. I'm always going to so, yeah, take I don't know what the over. Anything, anything involving message <laughs> yeah. boards or criticism, I'm always going to take the over. Yeah, I don't know what the official over-under would be, 300 <laughs> or whatever. But um, And then, <laughs> so we finally have an official nickname for Sir Big Spur, or the, the artist artist formerly known as Sir formerly known, yeah. <laughs> um, he's going to be called the general after uh, General Sumter, which, you know, that's the nice PC, uh, probably smart move by the university. But um, last week, it, the state actually, um, state newspaper, um, put out a poll for what the new name should be. And of course, it's the internet. So the top option was Cop Commander. Um, and that went viral. I mean, I saw it on like, oh, yeah, Reddit, uh, college the football. Athletic did a thing on it. it. Oh, yeah, 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 all over Twitter. I saw ESPN was talking about it. Mm -hmm. Um, so 
you know, sure, his name is the general, but we all know that the student section is calling him Cock Commander. We know that people online are Spencer calling Rattler him called him that yesterday. Yeah. Two days ago now, <laughs> I, I guess. Yeah. But uh, again, I was on Reddit College Football looking at the uh, Georgia State South and in those previews, people pick who's going to win the game in parentheses or whatever. And, you know, most of them said South Carolina, South Carolina, South Carolina. But you had quite a few fighting cock commanders or, or whatever, right? So um, so because it's become so memeable, surely someone is going to be smart enough to make some T-shirts. So how many cock commander T-shirts are we going to see in the student section on Saturday? I'm going to say, like, probably pushing a 1,000. I expect to see them in the parking lots um different versions of it pictures of the rooster on the shirt i i don't know it's just a yeah. kind of dumb story that makes college football fun yeah i don't know if you've talked to ben over at the state but uh yep. if they if if they're smart they should merchandise that and put out that t-shirt themselves no ben actually that's funny it's not as memeable he came up with um cluck norris which i thought was <laughs> really funny um i've heard yeah Darius i saw Clucker. Some... um yeah, i saw that one yeah George Roosters uh, was mine. Um, yeah, I don't I, know if you had I, one. I, I, I retweeted the uh, SEC network like they did the only wrong answers, like top right. five. And uh, Darius Clucker was one of those, but I can't. There was one that just like had me cracking up because it was a clear like you're almost saying something that you shouldn't say. Um, I did. Oh, Dwayne the Cock Johnson was one. I thought that that was pretty good. <laughs> um, but yeah. So I anyway. I, I I'm with you. I, I hundred uh, just to not put an even a thousand. But um, I saw in a random 2014 article that I did to research this because I do heavy research on student sections and cock commander T-shirts to get the number exactly right. Um, that there are 10,000 student section seats in the, on the lower level. So that's kind of what I was basing it on. Um, so yeah, one out of 10, uh, like 0.8 out of 10 uh, students wearing a Cock Commander t-shirt. The question is, yeah, who who's making the shirts? Maybe maybe they're not ready for week one, but throughout the season, I think- we When you're here for Georgia, you're just gonna see a bunch of them sweat towels because it's a noon game, all that stuff. <laughs> I mean, if, if if I can find one for sale when I'm there for Georgia, I'm going to get one. So <laughs> I, I need that one, and I need uh, the Find Some Joy t-shirt that Shane Beamer wore at the press conference last year. I like that one, too. Um, yeah. All right, so there we are. We're, we're on the record there. Any other final thoughts as we head into the weekend here? Just really excited to have college football. I mean, we talked about the backyard brawl tonight. That's going to be great. I don't know if you read the Sports Illustrated story that um, came out. I think it was yesterday about the 2007 game, the 13-9. Talked to a bunch of people who were involved in that. That was really interesting. Um, and then obviously, you know, we've got Tennessee tonight, a little bit of SEC East. They're playing Ball State. Shouldn't be too interesting, but it's something. Games tomorrow, Saturday. Game Sunday, we get the Brian Kelly debut Sunday night. And um, even a game yeah. Monday, even though I don't think Clemson, Georgia Tech is going to be that interesting. No. Well, Clemson's like a 21-point favorite, and I think they might cover that. So. Pretty easily. <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of some upsets that I have because there's always, a oh yeah, we can do here. a little, we can do, um, I think our picks articles going, um, going live today or tomorrow, but we can go through a couple if you, if there's some games you want to, we've got Notre Dame, Ohio state. I mean, that's the big game Saturday night, unfortunately at the same time as South Carolina, Georgia state, but yeah, I, I think I picked Notre Dame to cover, but I think Ohio state's winning that one. Yeah. Sure. I just, I think this might be in, 
really, really, really good Ohio State year instead of just a very good Ohio State, maybe like last year. Um, that receiver group's ridiculous. <laughs> They're going to score 35-40 a game. Yeah, and they, they just picked up, what, like three more five-stars this year, five-star receivers. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, they're they're fine. Um, but, yeah, that, that spread is 17 points. So I that's think a huge maybe number Dame, for a top-five game. That's why I think Notre Dame can maybe keep it close. Of course, I have no idea what's going to happen with that new coaching staff, and, you know, that's a tough first test. But uh, um, let's see, a couple more. Arkansas is favored by six-and-a-half over Cincinnati. That's going to be – an interesting to one, one to watch, uh, get a little preview for next week. Um, I'm surprised that they're favored that high, I guess. It's I, tough. I mean, Arkansas is definitely like the, the darling, I guess, uh, of the SEC West as far as the non-Alabama teams. But It's tough because Cincinnati's losing so much. Like, you lost a quarterback to the NFL. You lost a top five pick at corner. I think eight total players in the NFL draft last year. Um, that's a lot of turnover for a road game week one, but yeah. at the same time, it's still a team that went to the college football playoff, went undefeated last in the regular season last year. Luke Day's a good coach. For sure. Uh, I mean, Luke Fickle. Got Luke your Fickle, Ohio Luke wires Day's, crossed there. Yeah. Um, Luke Day's, uh, yeah. No, it's, I, I, yeah, I mean, it's kind of a big number, but Arkansas playing at home. I I wouldn't be surprised if they covered it. And then you got Georgia, Oregon too at three thirty. Um, Dan Lanning, Bolt, and Bo Nix against the SEC again. Yeah, I mean, I no, think Oregon, there. I think yeah, I, Oregon is good. They just I, and I think that they're gonna have a nice little run in the Pac twelve this year. They just don't have the the, the trenches hashtag no. trenches uh, to hold up. I don't think. Um, I think Utah is going to cover against Florida. They're favored by three. I think that they're going to... I could not believe how small that number was. Florida's turning so much of the roster over. Utah was really good last year. Like I think people forget they almost beat Ohio State in the Rose Bowl. Like they're, I think they're going to go down there and drop one on Florida. I think probably probably win by double digits. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I you know we don't condone betting on here, but I can guarantee you that 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 Utah spread is part of my parlay this weekend for sure. Um, let's see, Couple what do you think tonight? Oh, West tonight, Virginia, yeah. I back, back what, oh. West Virginia. What's the number? Is it seven right now? Seven and a half. Seven. I have seven and a half. Yeah. Okay, I picked West Virginia to cover. I think that's kind of a lot of points for a huge rivalry game and week one. That's two huge variables that usually means the game's closer. I do think Pitt wins, um, playing at home, changing quarterbacks, but West Virginia is as well, so you can't really say anything there. Um, I think Pitt wins but doesn't cover. What about you? Yeah, I've had West Virginia covering. I could see them winning outright. Uh, a lot of – I mean, I don't know a ton about West Virginia, so I had to, like, look into the previews of each team. I know Pitt, like you said, uh, is missing their first-round – NFL draft pick quarterback. Um, so that has to be a big factor. But um, a lot of people are picking West Virginia to kind of make a run this this season. It's the JT Daniels factor, I think, yeah. as much as anything. And a lot of belief in, like, Neil Brown, who, you know. Uh, it's kind of time there, man. Right, it's been exactly. at Troy, it's but, like, like, it's been two, three years there. It's, it's probably time to get moving. Yeah, and I guess that was sort of the argument that was being made was, like, if they're going to start to show improvement, it's going to be now and – you know, maybe they catch Pitt in this little transition. That would buy but, him a lot of leeway with boosters and stuff, getting a win over Pitt. 
definitely. Um, well, and then two more I, uh, I wanted to go to. Yeah. They're local and they're both in the noon window. So if you're tailgating or whatever, you can definitely watch both of them hang out. We got UNC at App. We've got NC State at East Carolina. A little bit of a North Carolina kind of, I don't know, jamboree there, I guess. Um, yeah. With Mac Brown going to Boone there. And interesting NC State team that's ranked pretty high preseason. But East Carolina's got a returning quarterback who was pretty good last year. They went to a bowl game. They almost caught South Carolina last year up there. I think both of those games have intriguing G5 over P5 upset potential in the noon window. Yeah, so North Carolina, I picked to win and cover because I think I, I think you had said this earlier in the, the Slack um, this week that they have been beat up in the media all week because of the poor showing. And, I, I you know, it's an opening game. Sometimes you come out a little sloppy and then you look a, a lot better week two. So I am expecting them to look better. Um, and I think that they'll probably be all right. But um, the NC State East Carolina game. So me and my, my friend, shout out to Roach. Um, yeah, I know. That's his name. Uh, <laughs> we uh, usually go like against each other on a couple of games each week. And that's one of our sort of swing games. So he has East Carolina covering and I have NC State covering. Um, so that, and a half, that'll be interesting. 12? What's the number? 11 and a half. We, we, we have it at 11 and a half. I, maybe it's shifted a little since. Right. Then. Yeah. All right. I, uh, yeah. So I can't wait for some football this, this Saturday and uh, check in with GameCockScoop.com during the game. Um, Alan's going to have some live updates. I'm going to do some kind of color commentary as I'm watching uh, the broadcast to kind of add any anything there um we'll have some immediate um stories on saturday night sunday morning breaking it all down and then we'll hop back on here either sunday or monday or one of us will or both of us will and uh sort of break down how it went and start previewing arkansas sounds good all right well thanks for checking in with us at gamecockscoop.com and the gamecockscoop.com podcast until next time Go Cox.